Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling in association with Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. I'm Graham Wilgos. Wherever you're listening from, I hope you're well. Brad, we're in a slightly different location today. We're, we're not at Eurosport Towers. We're, no, uh, we're in a hotel just down the road um, in a basement in a room because, of course, we're not. The, the Eurosport offices are on lockdown, like most of the world. So, so we're, right. we're, But we're going to get through it. And we've got a lot to talk about and a lot to look forward to. Very much us. so. And uh, it's good to have Matt Stevens along. Yeah, thanks. It's fully carpeted and we've got nibbles, so I'm ready to roll. That's what you look for in a hotel, Indeed. isn't it? Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, good. Uh, good to be here. Very good to have you. Um, Brad, Phyllis, what have you been doing over the, the winter while we've been away? Because it's been a while. September in Harrogate was the last yeah. time we were all together. Um, what have I done? I've done quite a few different things. I made a comedy show for Comedy Central. Some people might not think it's comedy, but it's, um, it was good fun to make with um, Tom Rosenthal, who was in Plebs and Friday Night Dinner and stuff. It was... Um, Good thing to do. And I've done a few other things. I did a, I did a corporate talk for Saga holidays. <laughs> that was quite interesting. Um, but other than that, no, it was quite good, actually. Um, just It's nice, you know, cycling season. Nice to be able to work through the cycling season. Don't really have much on outside of that. Um, so it was, yeah. We went for a curry, didn't we? We went for a curry. Yeah. We did, actually, yeah. yeah. That was quite an eventful curry, yeah. wasn't it? Let's just leave that there. <laughs> good. <laughs> but we did go for a curry. It was great. Uh, Matt, a former British national champion turned Eurosport commentator. Turned strongest forearm in, in, in cycling. Yeah, thank uh, you. Th- good to have you back on. What have you been doing over the, over the winter, apart from going for a curry with Brad? Uh, apart from the curry, um, I've, been, I've been pretty busy, actually. I've been doing a fair bit with, uh, with Zwift. I've been doing a fair bit with Sigma Sports. And I've been commentating as well. already got a few races under my belt this year, last of which was the Tour of Taiwan, which me and Carlton did in the middle of the night. It really was the graveyard shift. A good race, but we started our shift at 3 a.m., so I'm still, I'm still slightly jet-lagged from the Tour of Taiwan, actually. It's a sleepover with Carlton Kirby. It's sort of, yeah. yeah. yeah it was good. We sort of had and a Bob cheeky... We, on, the way, on, the, on the way, I used to pick Carlton up on the way to Chiswick, and uh, every night we went to drive through Mookie D's. Lovely. Mm. Yeah. Just to take the edge off. It was good. Uh, several ways to do that, but that's, um, that's probably one of the more palatable ones when you're working. It's isn't what it? you can do in the middle of the so, night, isn't it? But yeah. no, but, uh, it's um, all good. You've had a significant birthday as well, which we should just mention. Oh, yeah. You'd, Many happy yeah, returns. I, I saw you were kind of looking at me, flickering your eyebrow. You, yeah, I, I've turned 50 on January the 4th. <laughs> not, not for so, the first time. Uh, so, yeah, turned 50. Uh, yeah, a, a big, big milestone, but I still pretty much feel the same, to be honest with you. But yeah, turned 50. Good. You don't look the same. Thanks very much, Brad. I yeah, knew that was well, coming. Like I said earlier, for a man who works as hard as you do, you, uh, Thanks, yeah, you're everywhere, you aren't you? Check a lot post. younger than you should be. You're literally everywhere. I'm primarily in my living room at the moment, though. It's, uh, it's kind of changing, yeah. isn't it? But uh, we'll get onto that in a we'll bit. We'll come to but, that. Uh, yeah. so Have you been, Graham, anyway? I've been well, yeah. 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 I, things, are, things are changing for us all. Mm. But uh, I've, I've been all right. Yeah. Out of my, out of my bike, bit of running. Well, you see it. Thanks for getting, getting in touch during the winter and messaging me. Well, thanks for messaging me. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be back <laughs> at any rate. But a lot has happened since we've been away. Um, we've got a new prime minister. We've left Europe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but it, it, the world of cycling 
in particular. That's, mm. what, that's what we're here to talk about. It's, it's, been, it's been turned upside down in a lot of ways this week, more, more than ever. But just, just to take you back to the beginning of March, because life has been turned upside down for no one more so than the family of uh, Team Sky and Team Ineos DS, Nico Portal. Mm. Um, so a, a man more highly thought of in cycling uh, or anywhere else for that matter. Uh, I think you'd be hard pushed to find. Uh, Nico suffered a, a heart attack uh, at his home in Andorra at the beginning of March. Um, but one of, the, one of the kindest, most loved, most respected people in cycling, uh, Matt. Yeah, um, it was a it was a, a massive shock. Um, I just I saw something on Twitter and I, I couldn't believe it. I stood in my kitchen and couldn't believe it. And um, I, th- I think I never worked directly with, with Nokia and a team, but I worked. A lot with him on the on the grand tours over the last couple of seasons, and and what I can say about him that he was one of the most um, pleasant, kind-hearted, good-spirited um, individuals I've ever come across. Um, always had time for everybody in the press, and and when you're on a grand tour, there's a lot of pressure, especially the Tour de France. But he always was polite. He was always courteous. He always prioritised the riders, but never, you know, made the press feel like they weren't part of the big family as well. So had time for everybody, and. Um, I think he was a calming influence, especially over the younger riders in the team as well. And it was a pleasure to watch him at work with the team. You know, we're outside the bus a lot of the time waiting for our interviews, but uh, he'd always come across, say, you know, just, just give me some time with the riders first, prioritise those, and then be very generous and forthcoming and, and very open and expansive in his interviews as well. Um, it's a, a big, big loss to the world of cycling and obviously to his team mm. and most importantly, his family as well. But uh, a lovely, lovely bloke. Yeah, real heartfelt tributes continue to come in for mm. Nico. Brad, what are your memories of, of Nico? Because you rode with him, didn't you? Yeah, I rode with him in the first year of Team Sky and um, I also roomed with him quite a bit that year um, in the early season races. But as um, Matt said, he was just... I'm, you'll never find anyone who's got a bad word to say about Nico, really. He's just, um, as a rider as well, he was so well-respected by the likes of Valverde and those guys because he was riding for Kestepan. Um, towards the end of his career and he became a real, you know, he spoke Spanish, spoke obviously French and perfect English as well. And I know that um, these things happen and a lot of people kind of, you know, none of that doesn't deserve to happen to anyone really. And it's always kind of the content of their personality and character is always brought into it post-death, you know, as to whether they were a really nice person or, or kind of, or not, as it were. But... The, first and foremost, his family really had kids and things like that. I think he was—he was. You have to think from their point of view, and it was—it was only a couple of weeks before that we were talking about, you know, the death of Kobe Bryant, mm. um, of course, and and the sort of devastation that left behind, really. And it just—it's hard to put into words, really. I mean, I just—I personally had a lot of affection for him. He was someone I spoke to just at the tour last year when we were hovering around the buses, and I had my son there, and he couldn't believe how old. Ben had got really because the last time he'd seen Ben was the 2012 tour when we rode up and down the Champs Elysees. So, and we were talking about his children, and it's just such a sad moment for for not necessarily for cycling, you know, sod cycling, but for the family really. You have to think that you know, there's two children and the wife now that have first and foremost he was a great husband and a father, and um, before anything else, I think you have to thoughts go out to them really. I think that's. I mean, Brad's right. You know. Um, the circumstance of somebody passing away um, or one thing. But uh, I think what you can say is just by the outpouring of, um, of respect and, and obviously sadness, it's just just the amount of positivity um, that he provided. And unfortunately, we didn't really know that until he's, until he's gone. But um, mm. I don't think I've ever seen such an outpouring on social media. Um, uh, and just, you know, 
good-spirited comments about him. Um, he was a lovely soul. Yeah, he I really think he's was. just left a, a real void mm. in the world of cycling and mm. to see all, ex, pretty much every single team as well chimed in immediately to pay their respects. And I don't think I've ever seen that. And I, and I think that just shows how in, in, in how high a regard he was actually held yeah, in the cycling uh, world and, and he will be sadly missed. Um, given Nico's passing, it's understandable, uh, along, along with everything else that's currently happening in the, in the world of sport and the world of cycling, um, Team Ineos took the decision not to race until originally, until what, what should have been next weekend's Volta Catalunya. Um, Spain is, of course, now on, on lockdown, so the Volta has been, has been postponed. Um, we know that the, the E3 Bink Bank Classic has been postponed. Uh, Ghent Webblegem has been postponed. No San Remo. Um, Flanders at this stage, do we know? Everyone? Tour of Flanders, yeah. likely to be postponed yeah. for the first time in, in 100 years. Roubaix so, as well. Yeah. Um, so the, the list goes on the Giro. We know about the women's tour in June. We know about now. So Sweet Spot have acted early to, um, to postpone that. So none of us is an expert on the coronavirus, COVID-19. No, we, 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 can, we can, though, talk about it from, uh, from a sporting point of view. Um, and we can talk about the likely impact that it will have or the, the impact that it's already having uh, on the peloton. So, Matt, just start us off with this, because I think the... the as, as much as the, the one-day classics have, have, have begun to fall by the wayside, if we're looking at the Giro, which is the, the, the real um, uh, big casualty of the season, if you like, uh, so far, could we be looking at, for example, a Giro in the autumn? Quite possibly. And, um, you know, it's important that you stress the word speculate because that's all we're doing at the yeah. moment because this, this situation... Um, is changing daily. It, it is fluid and it, and it is totally and utterly unprecedented in, in our life in our lifetimes. You know, and you you put into context you know, the fact that uh, Flanders has never been cancelled in a hundred years just shows you, including um, the war years, isn't it? Yeah, including the war years. Yeah. This is this is something that go that, that that clearly transcends cycling. And I think we said um, Graham before we came on air actually that it seems almost bizarre that we uh, and unimportant that we still are here to talk about cycling. And we are because it's our world and it, and it, and, and we cherish it and it means a lot to us. But within the grand the, the grand scheme of things, cycling is relatively insignificant. It's that the welfare of people that are at the forefront of all this. Um, but but for the cycling calendar, um, you know, it's it's more than disruptive. Um, I mean, organisations, race organisers, primarily going to be losing money. Um, teams have uh, got no exposure for the for their investment, um, and then it, it's just. And I think had this been a set of circumstances that said, okay, the calendar's locked down for four weeks, six weeks, you can to a degree manage that because you can reschedule. But because this is constantly moving and evolving. And, also, and because there's no real coordination amongst go governance, we're talking about the UCI, we're talking about the IOC, we're talking about race organisers, we're talking about teams, we're talking about governments, there's no real coordination. Mm. This thing could go on and on and on. And it's, these, it's this uncertainty that is the most frightening thing at the moment for mm. race organisers. Um, I'd like to think, not being a medic or anything, I'd like to think we could have a juror at the end of the year. Um, there's even people on Twitter quite fancifully talking about having a combined Grand Tour, like a week in Spain, a week in Italy, and a week in, and, and a week in France. Who knows? Um, but the longer this goes on, the more, the more precarious a, a position the Giro is going to be in than the knock-on effect to the Tour and the Vuelta, because we just don't know. Mm. Brad, as, as Matt says, cycling is, is beyond question the most important of the least important things, yeah. if you like. From your point of view, have you spoken to it, to any of the riders in the peloton? Have you? Um, how about? Uh, no, I spoke to Cav um, last week. Yeah. Um, and he was just about to travel down to Nice to do some training. Um, he'd been 
training quite hard in preparation for this season. Of course, you know how big a year this was going to be for him coming back with Bahrain and really wanting to make a point and make a statement. And I think it, it's frustrating from, a, from an athletic point of view for the likes of Cav because this was a big, big year for him. And of course, we all know what his race is at the Tour de France and coming back there. I mean, can you imagine after last year not making the Tour de France? So from a personal sporting aspect and personal kind of goals and things from someone like Mark Cavendish, it, it's, just, it's going to be a shame if something like this disrupts his opportunity. As, it, as we said, as it's, it's at least important compared to other things in life, but just from the amount of work and hard work, these guys have put in work all through the winter mm. in preparation for certain goals that are now being moved. Um, and if, if something like the Tour de France, God forbid, was to go you know, at, the, at the expense of this, this um, virus, then um, for someone like Mark Cavendish, who's the only one I've spoken to, it'll be a great shame for the amount of work he's putting in because this is still their livelihoods. In, in the, this, we keep saying it's only sport, but for these guys, you know, the financial implications for, for the sponsors and teams, this could, this could be devastating for a lot of them, couldn't it? Yeah, uh, massively. And uh, I think um, it, teams are having to be relatively creative now. I mean, um, and I, I'm, I'm going to mention it because it's quite, it's quite interesting. Uh, today, I, well, yesterday I spoke to, to Simon Yates via Skype. It's home in Andorra. And Andorra is one of the places that's locked down. Spain, we know you can't even go on your bike now. Are they not allowed to go out, no? Um, I don't know about Andorra. I think they can ride in Andorra, but in Spain, you're not allowed to ride your bike as of midnight at the time this was recorded last night. Um, really? Uh, the Got government that. said you can't ride. Is that the same in Italy? Is that, do we know? Uh, in Italy's, certain Italy's areas. on lockdown, yeah. yeah. Wow. So in Spain, it will be... Um, so I've got a, a mate in Madrid, and it's it's supermarket and pharmacy runs only. Yeah, so but, it's, yeah. it's incredible. But um, but Mitchelton Scott, you know, uh, have got a lot of investment from the, the, the from Mitchelton, of, of course. Um so they've created this um, Where the World Rides series um, so that so the riders can train together using Zwift as the platform and fans can ride with them as well. So they're doing a series of events over the, over the week. And uh, I spoke to Matt Heyman this morning about it and he said, um, yeah, this has thrown us into disarray. Um, we don't know what the future holds this season. I think we can see beyond and hopefully this will become contained at some point and we will get back to some semblance of normality, but we don't know when that's going to be yet. So we're in this constant state of flux. And, and for riders, sponsors, uh, it's just, just uncertainty. So riders are just basically, they're, they're now stopping training and they're just riding their bikes because mm. they don't want to you know, peak too much until they know exactly what their, their objectives are. There's no point in, in riding for nothing. But they are riding on Zwift to, to basically keep the name of the brand out there mm. because th there's big investment. And as, as Brad pointed out, you've got these personal objectives which are being upset, but also... Teams have put millions of euros uh, into into these teams, and at the moment that they're getting nothing back. And um, but it's a problem. I mean, it's you can see twenty percent has been wiped off the, the Nikkei, the Dow Jones, and and um, and and the one in London. Forgot the stock exchange. Uh, so there's people losing money everywhere, and, and cycling, of course, isn't immune to that. So it's about people thinking laterally during some very very difficult times. Mm. Can I put you to sort of take you back to, uh, to to your own days in the peloton? Would you? How would you feel now? Do you think if you were, for example, asked to ride this week at Paris-Nice, so if you weren't in one of the teams that had, that had taken the decision not to put their riders out there, Mitchelton Scott or, mm. uh, or Ineos or Movistar, how, yeah. would you, how would you feel about it, do you think? Well, I mean, I wouldn't, I would have ridden, I think. I don't think, I mean, the last time I remember anything like this through cycling was probably in the early 2000s, although this wasn't something that affected humans, but was the foot and mouth. Foot and mouth. Yeah, yeah. Lots yeah, of races started getting cancelled, didn't they, because of the, the spread of that through farms and things. Um, but from this point of view, I mean, I would have probably ridden, really. I mean, you'd hope that the, the, the teams would take those decisions, really. To, so Mitchelton obviously took that decision for the riders, really. And 
I think that's where the teams and the medical and the science, the people that can come together and, and put factual stuff out there and whether they decide to put those riders at a risk for the sake for the sake of sake of kind of their sponsors and whether we have a team next year or not because the team the sponsor was already considering pulling out you'd, you'd hope that your team would make the right decision really and, and you'd go on that i think i'm the same as brad i'd, I'd be advised because it, it, you know i'm sure well some riders have gone on social media to, to state they weren't particularly happy uh, at riding roman Bardet was one of the riders um, but then Max Shackman, of course, recently won Paranese in his cock-a-hoop, although the race was curtailed by one stage. Mm. So I think you can read into that Bardet's form was average. So he, can, he, he, could, he could say, well, I wasn't really happy riding, but he was under team instructions. And, and I think most riders, from what I've seen, uh, are happy to do what they're told by their team. Because, um, you know, and, and there was an interesting one, Jonathan Volters, you know, the, the, the manager of EF, originally wasn't going to ride Paranese, and they did a complete 180, and the team rode. Uh, although, you know, they're a very depleted team and obviously Higuita did a, a superb ride. Um, but I think you, you're just going to have to be led by the, the medical expertise in your team. Um, and, and I think that's what most, most riders have done. Some reluctantly, some have just towed the line. Um, and the, uh, Jumbo Visma were another team who, who stopped riding altogether. Mm. That's quite a nice Bardet quote, actually. When he, he said, when nothing really makes sense anymore, you might as well get caught up in the ambient madness and do the things you like to do. I didn't understand why the race, and he's talking about Paris-Nice here, yeah. I didn't understand why the race went on today. So this is the finish of stage six. We seem out of place on a bike when everyone is making efforts to stem the spread of the virus. Yeah, he's got a point, hasn't he? He has, yeah. I think yeah. it's fair play. He's, Elo he's, eloquently put he's, well, he's, he's a bit of a poet, is our Roman, isn't he, as well? He's, he's a very well-spoken young, yeah. young, young chap. But No, I think he had a point there, really. I mean, but to be fair... It has escalated every day, hasn't it? And yes. I think it's got to the point now where they did, you know, cancel the last stage, really. But it did seem odd that with everything else going and Italy, the crisis in Italy at the moment and just the amount of outpouring of love for Italy, mm. that we were going very close to there in Nice with a mass, massive bike race almost celebrating that when, you know, this thing is getting quite serious all around. There's no toilet roll anymore anywhere. There's no paracetamol. No pasta. And, and this massive bike race is going on in, all, in France. All the things really. that cycling depends on. Exactly. Um, so one more for you, chaps. Given that um, you've, you've seen the teams taking the decision before the, the before cycling's authority, so before the UCI, so it was actually it was Mitch and Scott that, that almost began that that sort of chain of events that, that forced the UCI to start to think about okay, well maybe we need to, and it's and it's and it, it wasn't even the UCI, it was it was you're, you're talking about the Belgian government, or you're talking about the French government, or you're talking about. Uh, the, the Spanish government. I, I do understand the UCI's position to a degree. A bit like the Premier League's going and, you know, those things. It's like, you, you sort of, why did Paris ever go ahead, really? You know, when, yeah. when already we'd lost, um, you know, the, the race, sorry, on dirt across it. Yeah, Trainer Adjek and teams like that, you know. Well, for, the, the, I think the weird anomaly before we leave this particular subject was the fact that the French government has said there's no more sporting events, but somehow you know, uh, Paris-Nice managed to get six yeah. days. So, so there were no so crowds. The and so by the time well, stage six was... They were stopped from going. They right. were sealed off at the start and finish. Yeah. So there's no, no people. Uh, to, to just add a, a little bit of detail on the end there, the reason the peloton was able to get underway on stage six was because there were fewer than 100 riders starting the race that, that morning. And that was the day after the French government had said no gatherings of, of 100 people or more. Wow. So, so, so on, was, on, it was almost on a technicality so that was allowed to start. Yeah, there we go. Um, so it was a it was a confused and, a, and at times unreal race, Matt. I know you you, you watched with interest, um, but it was also a, a wildly entertaining one, um, and none more so than, than Saturday's explosive uh, final stage um, with with what was left of the peloton absolutely gunning it. 
Um, partly because it, it might be the last racing that we will, that we we might see for a while. So we'll come to we'll come to how you saw it in a minute. First, here's how Rob Hatch called it for us on Saturday's final stage. It's been a strange Pahini's entertainment, however, from start to finish. And right at the very last, it's the reborn Naido Quintana who adds a Pahini stage to his exceptional palmares. Quintana wins the seventh and final stage of a truncated race at the top of La Colmienne. So another win for Naido Quintana this season, his fifth of the campaign. Looking like a bit of a renaissance year for him already, or at least it would if, uh, if he had any, any immediate racing to look forward to, Matt. Uh, he made a late break for glory yesterday with four kilometers to go, and he's looked, crash aside, because he crashed hard this week, he's looked enormously impressive all week. Yeah, he's, uh, he's looked great. I mean, up to the point he crashed, as you said, I think it was in stage two or three in the crosswinds. He was actually well positioned in the crosswinds. He was in the first group, and, and unfortunately, you know, it's like Brad, mm. touch of wheels, and, and he was down. Um, and his team rode really well uh, to look after him. And uh, it's worth a little bit of a shout out actually to Connor Swift, who, mm. who rode the former British uh, champion. Arkea Samzik. Yeah, from Arkea Samzik, who was tasked to look after Nairo in the earlier stages and uh, actually stayed quite deep into the race before he dropped him off at the bottom of the climb. A good see winner, Anacona, uh, looking after him as well, his little brother, Dea. But um, he's got he's got some real punch mm. uh, and it, it's great to see because uh, he's taken a lot of flack over the last couple of years as little Naro um, and it just hasn't quite worked. Obviously, the thing is, look at his, look at his Palmares. He's won a Juro, one of Walter's written off last year, comes back and has got five wins, but it, but he, he ripped that group apart. Although yeah. he wasn't up there overall, he's, he, they could, they could have given him a you know, two and a half minutes buffer. They did try to follow and they couldn't. He, he, he was back to, back to his best. And um, all the coronavirus stuff aside, as a piece of racing, Six days of racing, the Paris Nice really did deliver. It was a special race. It was great, great to watch. It was phenomenal. Yeah, it? it was great. Brad, good to see Nairo back. Mm. Yeah, I think as Matt said, he's took a lot of stick the last few years, and including from a few of us as well. But you know, we saw him at the Volta last year, didn't we? Win that first stage um, into Benidorm or Calpe, wherever it was where we were, and we thought he was back there, and then it was disappointing. But you have to question. We probably did at the time whether um, his team had anything to do. He was probably quite unhappy there towards his end of his reign at Movistar, wasn't he? Um, and we all kind of questioned that change. It seemed a bizarre one at the tour when it was announced last year going to Arkea. But um, he's paid them sponsors back admirably, hasn't he? Really, with that with that win already. Um, so it's good for him, really. And you know, I think he's um, you know he seems like a really nice lad. And um, we spoke to him a couple of times. But I've heard a few. We spoke at the Walter last year about the likes of Alex Downs. It described him as not a nice human being, <laughs> um, which was always bizarre because Naira never comes across like that. So it just shows you kind of the context of that and what he means by that, you know, certainly in a bike racing sense, when he gets the bit between his teeth, he's, he's ruthless. And um, I think he proved that again this week. He gives some quite interesting interviews. So if you look at some of the sound bites out there and occasionally does speak in the third person, which makes him Columbia, sound dude. a little bit weird. Uh, but uh, I mean, speaking of the third person aside, it's just great to see him back because yeah. we've got this wonderful other component. I mean, and, and again, uh, again, we keep talking about the future of, of this season. It's 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 such it's such a shame, is it? Because mm. uh, you know, a rider of his caliber back in the mix would have would have made for such an exciting season. So, but uh, we also we don't know what's to come either. We so, don't. So stay we will, positive. We will, we will look forward with hope um, indeed as well. Um, as should Max Shackman at Bora, um, who we should give a lot of credit to, having won the overall, uh, having won the, the GC at Paris Nice. Um, he hung on during the final climb to take the overall title, despite a late attack from Sunweb's Tij Benut. Um, in the final kilometre. So yeah. Tiege needed 30 seconds. 
plus the six seconds for I mean Nairo was uncatchable by that point but he would have got six he, he got six bonus seconds too yeah because that was another funny move over over the winter wasn't it Tosh Benut moving from Lotto where where he took his maiden victory last year in Strada Bianca that was his first big win I mean Tosh Benut he's only about 26 seems to have been around for years but you know he's come through the winter he said he's he was criticized for his move from Lotto to Sunweb um and, but he's flourishing. He said he's got a new coaching structure. He's, he's tweaked his training a little bit on, on the, uh, through the winter. And, and he looks like a real contender. You know, it would be interesting to see how he does in, in the longer, in, in, the, in, in the grand tours going forward. But uh, that punch with about a case ago, I thought when, when he went and he gapped him, I thought, God, if he'd have gone 2K to go, 1,500 metres to go, he might have actually pulled it he off. He almost left it too late. Because Shackman was on the ropes. Yeah. Shackman was on hanging the ropes. Up, hanging up. Well, he, so he said it was, it was a, a walk through hell, that yeah. last climb, which is uh, the, uh, the Cormian. 6.3%. Um, he said the last three kilometres, sorry, I should say, were a walk through hell. Brad, ever, ever been hanging on quite like that? <laughs> yeah, quite a bit, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, it happens to every cyclist, doesn't it, at some point. Um, no matter how good you are, no matter how well you've been going, no matter what you've won, what you haven't won, everyone goes through that as a cyclist. I think we've all, anyone who's ridden a bike has probably experienced that, haven't they, Matt? I've, do you know the one time that I experienced it the most? And it was Tour of Britain 2010, last Tour of Britain I rode. You rode it. Mm. Um, Geraint was in the team for Team Sky. And I wasn't really going that well, but I could sit in the bunch. And we're going through this, I can't remember what stage it was. We're going through this big city and I thought, I'm, I'll give it a nudge to the front, like the glory days. Sat on your wheel mm. uh, and Geraint was on the front chasing this group. And basically I got to the point where I couldn't hold the wheel. Uh, but I thought, I can't swing out now because all these people are watching. And the bunch was in one line and it was, oh, there's Matt Stevens, can't hold Brad's wheel. That was when I did walk through hell for about 4K. Before we came out of the town, I just swung off and I think I got punted. But that was utter yeah. hell, mate. Thanks for that. Well, it wasn't me. It was Geraint. Well, thanks, Geraint, as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a couple of other names just to mention from Paris-Nice, uh, who've impressed this week. Uh, back to somewhere again, actually. Soren Krau-Anderson, uh, the, the TT win that I think few of us would have called. Yeah. Um, the, the Dane of the day. Yeah, I, th I mean, look, Soren Krau is an interesting proposition because a past winner of Paris Tour, powerfully built rider, and ends up you know, up there overall, climbing really well and, and bossing the TT. He's another really interesting proposition. Some have got some really decent young riders, but Soren Crow, great in the crosswinds, great in the TT and can climb as well. So, and he was looking after Taisha in the final. So mm. I reckon they could have had two in the top five. Um, another Dane who impressed throughout the week, left the race early because Denmark closed their borders. Uh, Mads Pedersen, world champion. He spent a lot of time on the front, that lad, and has gunning over the last it. few weeks yeah. uh, gunning it. But uh, no, it's, he's looking good in, in the rainbow stripes. Luckily, his team have delivered some pretty good results with Steuben and stuff uh, earlier in the year, of course, which seems like an eternity ago. But uh, Mads looking good in the stripes and putting a lot of work in on the front, yeah. Mm. And good to see up there too. Sixth place overall, Vincenzo Nibali. Yeah, Nibs. Um, new team, isn't it, as well? I think well, it was good to, to Trek like a yeah, yeah. see him get... Up there, I saw some pictures of him during the week on, on the climb, really um, having a go. The other one I liked seeing up there was Thibaut Pinot as well. Mm. Um, we haven't seen him since the tour last year. And, you know, it's quite, um, I actually remember being quite emotional going on the motorbike next to him last year, waiting for him to retire and climb off. So good to see him back, really. And I think, Matt, did you say, I'm not on Twitter, but did you see, say he was quite, um, quite. He was happy, yeah. yeah. I think on his Instagram, he said, um, I can't remember the exact phrase, but he used, there was a little picture of an explosion and a little picture of champagne. And, um, and just the way he'd written it was like he was pretty happy with his, with his condition. And that's the funny thing. A lot of riders came out of Paris-Nice happy with their condition. Mm. Um, another rider was clearly in, in, in good form was Thomas de Ghent as well with that, that final breakaway. breakaway yeah. uh, there was so many good things to talk mm. about that came out of Paris-Nice, uh, although it was a reduced field. 
uh, depleted through teams not turning up as well. Mm. But um, what we had um, was a great, great race and um, a really good insight into uh, what might be. One last one, actually. Uh, Serge Gita at EF. Uh, another little Colombian excelling in the crosswinds, first of all, um, in the same way that Egan Bernal did, in the same way that Quintana had done this week, uh, apart from his crash. Uh, is Aguita a star in the making? Because he's, he's also new to the pro peloton. Yeah, he's a, one that took out the Colombian road title earlier in the year, won the, his home tour, won the Tour of Colombia. Uh, he's thinking he's only 21 still, and the way he was riding in the crosswinds, or they got up, you know, hold your, hold your hand up and say, Set Van Mark really looked after him. Mm. I did actually, I don't normally go on Twitter very much and talk about bike racing, to be honest, but I did, did punted one out there to say how impressed I was the way Higuita conducts himself in the wind, because he's got away about 25 kilos, mm. that lad. He is absolutely tiny. Mm. Um, but no, a, a real prospect, uh, a real, real prospect, and good mm. to see him up there. I know this is our first show as well, and we're wallowing and moaning about this virus, but. Early in the season, I have to say, actually, watching just from my point, Rem, um, Remco Avenepoel, mm -hmm. when the races he won early season, was brilliant to watch. We have actually had quite a decent first part of the season. Matthew van der Poel's World Cyclocross title, I have to say, as well, was incredible Not, to watch. It, and of course, won, won all of his races apart from and, one. And of course, Tom Pidcock, special mention. No, definitely, well. mate. No, it, it is weird. What are we now? 15th, 16th of March. Yeah. You know, um, there is actually, bizarrely, although we lost to Reno, a, a lot of. Great stuff to look back yeah. on. Like you yeah. said, a lot to actually celebrate, although it's going to be curtailed for a while. Of course, but the Track World Championships, which we're going to talk about shortly. But yeah, I mean, it's been actually been quite a good season up to now. Isn't it has. It? It's been um, great. It's, just, it's a shame we've been focusing a lot on what's happened this week because there was so much more to come. But um, it's actually because it's our first show. We have, we've sort of missed a lot of good racing up mm. to this point, haven't we? We have. I mean, what about that? Um, what was it? Kern Brussels Kern. Casper Asgren's win. Oh, mm. my God. I mean... Astonishing. Yeah, it's it's going on the front like that. <laughs> Phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, chaps. Well, we'll be back with more from the Bradley Wiggins show right after this. The Lacquer community are cyclists just like you who have come together to make insurance work for them. No more upfront premiums or confusing policy wordings. A game-changing way to insure your bikes and your gear. You'll never pay more than the maximum monthly cap, but enjoy all the savings when fewer claims are made. Look after your community and the community will look after you. Get community-powered insurance now. Save £10 using the code Wiggins at lacker.co.uk. That's laka.co.uk. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport in association with Lacker Bicycle Insurance. Brad mentioned it briefly just there, the Track World Championships in Berlin. Mm. Um we should mention, because obviously it was, it was your, uh, a discipline that was your speciality, Team Pursuit won by Denmark with a quite astonishing yeah. ride and a world record that um, I don't think any of us saw coming. Was it 346? 344.6. 344.6. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see any of the Track World Championships, but of course that popped up at, at some point somewhere. I mean, that is truly phenomenal, really. I mean, when you think... I'm, I'm, I think 2000, year 2000, so 20 years ago, we went to the Sydney Olympics in qualifying. We broke the Olympic record with 401.9. I think, I think Philippe Gagné went, actually went faster on his own. <laughs> he does yeah. broke that with that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was an Olympic record. The Germans broke the world record in the final in 2000. They did 359, the first team ever to go under four minutes. So that shows that's 20 years that's moved on. 344. I mean, I think we... I think, I think we did 350 in Rio. In Rio, you did 350.265, yeah. and that at the time was a, an Olympic record and a world record. So another four, so we, another four, six seconds, really. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal how fast that event is getting. 
I mean, it truly is. I mean, that's. I mean, to put that into perspective, I think our our three hundred and fifty was something like seventy kilometers an hour, uh, sixty-four kilometers an hour average. So it's forty miles an hour average from a standing start. I don't know what this is. I mean, it, we we peaked at seventy kilometers an hour in that final one of us um, on the on the speed traces. So it just shows. I mean, as high as seventy-seven, they might have. Yeah, feet. I mean that's that's getting on for fifty miles an hour on a bike from yeah. a standing start. Yeah. So they so you said three forty six. So three forty six point five seven nine was their qualifying time. Three forty six point two zero three for the first round, and they shaved nearly two seconds off of that. Amazing for the final. Amazing, yeah. Which and is, it, yeah. And you know, again, the sad thing about that is we're coming up to the Olympics. It's the biggest thing. It only happens once every four years, and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We're not going to start talking about postponement and things, but the uncertainty now for that squad. Who have just smashed a world record? Mm. It's almost, you know, it's um, will they get to win Olympic gold? Remains to be seen. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it, without going back too much to the to the impact and what's happening right now, it's but like, it does play a part. It, it's like how how are they going to train? And I, I, I would imagine, I, and again, I would imagine this is me purely speculating that that because the, the track is, is so contained in terms of the training, they're just going to have to get their heads down and keep training the way mm. they were. I mean, although some of these riders dip in and out the road, you know, as far as I understand, but uh, the squad they've got are just going to have to keep, the head, keep as focused as they can um, to try and keep on track, uh, on, on track for Tokyo. But the times are absolutely astonishing, aren't they? We, before, before we were on air again, we were talking about, you know, the, the fact that the, the team pursuit discipline is almost, is almost like a sprint discipline. And do, do we look at another, adding another kilometre on? to bring it back to an endurance discipline because the speeds they're doing are kind of team sprint, um, yeah. a, a team a team sprint kind of speeds, aren't they? And, and um, remember Jason Quilly dropping in briefly to the team pursuit yeah, squad because to just, to, just to do the first couple of laps yeah. because that's the kind of... Well, that's, that's the kind of, going, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's becoming um, former kilo rider kind of discipline, really. So getting kilo riders because that, that became an endurance event as well. Um, kind of coming into the team squad and building up sort of four... Um, X kilo riders and just seeing basically how fast they can go and 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 that's kind of where the event's gone really. I mean, God are the days of kind of the Atlanta era when you had sort of Simon Lilliston and Matt Stevens and no, you, no, sorry, Matt Stevens, Matt Ellingworth and those guys coming together. But I mean, it's it's phenomenal to watch teams go that fast. Don't, you, don't think you really get the sense over TV just how fast they're travelling. But um, as Matt said, now the uncertainty. All they can do is carry on training as if the season is is still the same dates and the same structure. Mm. A big shout out for, to, for the American Chloe Digar as well. Uh, she also broke the women's world record for the 3K, didn't she? Mm. 316, 937. Thanks for the stats earlier on, Graham. Pleasure. Uh, yeah. That wasn't <laughs> off the top of my head. But, uh, so it was, yeah. it, was, it, was, uh, it was a world championship. The world and Philippe Ganner as well. I mean, you yeah. know, he's um, could be the first rider individually to go under four it's minutes. It's looking like it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So 401.934, and that was in qualifying. So he actually went slower to win the final. And well, still, he, he, sorry, Matt. He's going to be puffed out, though, wouldn't he, after that effort, yes. really? Mm. Um, but he still won the final by four seconds. Amazing. That's he is yeah. an engine, his, that lad. His next, his next biggest, next biggest rival. Mm. Um, so some uh, astonishing, astonishing uh, times. But why are they? Why are they now able to go so quickly by comparison? So we're only talking. We're talking four years ago for Brad and Rio. Mm. The three fifty. Um, yeah, I mean, f the thing with us is we was you always chase a new benchmark, really. So three fifty was. 20 years ago in Sydney, we, it was about getting under four minutes. So you train for the demands of going under four minutes. You don't train for 350 when the world record's only four, oh, four, four minutes dead, you know. So the bar gets raised every time in the same way that, you know, 100 metres in athletics, you know, before um, Usain Bolt kind of put it out of, out of sight or what we, we deemed to be out of sight. You know, it, it was always chased through the years, really. And with every time it's broken, you think, well, that won't be broken for a while. And 
people end up raising their bar and training to the demands of, so our world record, the Danes were probably training to 350. And it's the innovation, the technology, skin suits are far better now. You know, the aerodynamics, you know, the position, Matt was saying, you know, the, the type of rider that is demanded for that event now, you know, can you start seeking ex-sprint riders that didn't quite make it in the sprint disciplines and bring them in. It just, the sport continues to move on really. And, and I think the bikes and the suits and the setup and what we know about aerodynamics now, far better than it's ever been, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I... I was I was stunned by the times as, as the whole the cycling world were you know were and it, it is pretty amazing and it, you know it's, at, at the most interesting point that's been raised was the point that Brad mentioned was the fact that the records come so low so riders are training more specifically because one of the big observations about the Danish team in the World Championships was the fact they were on off the peg frames that can be bought at, at your local bike shop still pretty expensive rigs. Um, not these ones that, you know, that, that for argument's sake, BC are building, although you can yeah. technically buy them, you can actually get them off the peg. So you've got to think, well, where are the gains coming? Your skin suits, the, they were using kind of POC helmets that, again, you can buy those as well. Mm. Um, but it, it's small things. They're using different gearing, experimenting with different gearing as well. It's also that the, the gearing they're using, just the permutations of the gears, not the kind of inches of a gear, how far it travels in one revolution, but how many cogs at the front, how many cogs at the back. They're going towards bigger, bigger chain with the front, bigger sprockets at the back so you've got less tension in the chain that's going to save a watt and also they, they, they cut they've got lubricants on the chains now that are made of like ceramic so basically you're getting all these extra gains just in all the moving parts on the bike as well as the aerodynamics um and obviously an exceptionally good track because records fell across the board this wasn't just one mm, team yeah. but the whole thing is fascinating and, and good athletes as well oh, uh, good yeah and good yeah. athletes yeah mm. Okay, well, from the Danes of, uh, of the World Championships to a new feature, Brad. The Brad, do you want to introduce our, um, our, our first guest well, for this particular feature? I think feature? this is someone that Matt knows quite well. Yeah. We're going to bring him in in a sec, but yeah. let's go back to Matt. A little, little context of the story, but the 1995 World Championships in Colombia, Duitama. Yeah. And... Um, we hadn't qualified an Olympic road spot. Or we needed one more. And Matt stepped up in the amateur road race and finished eighth on probably one of the toughest world championship courses I think we've ever... We don't think we've had one since, have we? No, I think it was... Well, it was, yes, one of the toughest ever, I think, yeah. And uh, a Dutch rider called... Matt, do you want to... Uh, Danny Nellison, uh, an ex-pro, actually, um, rocked up, a uh, man from the flat. Oh, go and get him. Oh, I think he's just knocked on the door, Brad. Do you want to go and let him in? Danny, da Danny, come in, come in. Oh, da it's, 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 he works for Eurosport as well. He's a commentator at Dutch Eurosport. Danny, so, so good to see hey, you. Guys. It's been years, it's been years. Yeah, hey, I've been in Amsterdam this week, actually. With the... it's, well, it's good to see you. I mean, uh, you, did, did, did you come on, on a ferry or did you come on, on the Eurostar? Or you know, to get an easy jet? Being no ferries. Being no ferries. I have not seen you for, for some time. Eh? You're looking well, Danny. I think the last time, apart from the World Championships, was when we was in the back of the broom wagon in Wallonia. In the Tour of Wallonia, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We, we'd both been punted uh, out the back. Hey, it looks like I put a bit more weight on you, you since you, the retirement. You're looking, uh, you're looking, you're looking sort of, yeah, broad. Buffed up. Uh, broad. You're looking, Swole. Like, you're looking swollen. Swole. You're looking very swollen, Daddy. But, it's uh, great to no, see it's you. It's good to see you again, Matt, actually. It was, uh, I was always very uh, animated by your appearance. That's very, very kind of you. No, because we had a lovely chat. I mean, do you remember what we're talking about? We're in the back of the broom wagon in the Tour of Wallonia uh, in August thinking we've got the World Championships coming up and think it's going to be such a brutal course. Me and you, mate, we haven't got a chance. Well, I had the heart problems and then I stopped and so I came back and uh, I spent two years in Amsterdam yeah. and then I came back and uh, I uh, won the world title, which was crazy. It's a, it's a, what a lovely, lovely story. Thanks for coming all the way to hey, Chiswick to no see No problem. Us. i got to try to get back to Holland now. Oh, Danny, take care of yourself. You look after yourself. Thanks very much. Take care, mate. Lovely to I, see I, him. I can't, Danny, I'm, I'm welling up. Yeah, yeah, right, right, Danny. Yeah. He was a nice bloke. And it's a lovely new feature. 
Yeah, I just thought, you know, the Danes, we've done Danes. Yeah, and they broke the world record after we did Danes yeah, there as well. We, yeah. But, you know, I think we helped the country along, really. Of course look, we did. Look at the success they've had since. They won a world road title last exactly. year. Exactly. You yeah. can't underestimate the power of, of the Danes. We're going to bring back Dane. Dutch cycling. Well, I think we've, we've basically started it now. Mm. Countries around the world clamouring for a, a, a feature. <laughs> On, on their people. Um, Brad, we've, we've got another uh, another guest of sorts. We, it, during the during our winter break, we caught up with a man from the wrestling world. As you do. As you do, yes. He was Is keen to Hogan? ask you. Uh, unfortunately, not, not Hulk. No, ah. not, no, no Hulkamania here. Um, Jake the Snake Roberts? No, no, no Big Daddy either. <laughs> um, the Undertaker? For Giant Hastings. The Undertaker? Uh, no, no, I mean, we could be here all day. What I'm going to do is, is I'm going to allow him to... I'm going to allow him to introduce himself. Uh, so here he is. Hey, Brad, this is the Nature Boy. Woo, of the WWE. Just wanting to know what your name would be if you could wake up one day and be a WWE superstar. By the way, dare to dream. Woo! Yeah, okay. So, Ric Flair there, the Nature Boy, uh, the one and only, uh, has, has asked you... Mm what your wrestling name well, would be. I'd have a few, really. There's, I've quite liked the Lurcher, the Fluffer, but I'd probably be, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd quite like to be the Praying Mantis, because um, like that. that was Pray my Mantis. nickname on the time trial position because of the way I held my hands, long yeah. legs and that. So I'd be the Praying yeah. Mantis. Yeah. Matt, what would you be? Uh, the Log. The Log. And there is a story behind this as well. It's not just the, the tower, the weight this of is the a, Log. This is a story it's, from no. Colombia with the tea it's towel, is it? Uh, yeah. There's too <laughs> many. Well, look, let's save that for another pod. Uh, but I, I, even at school, though, pre-Columbia, I was known as the log. I used to spend a lot of time uh, in the Kazi. Pre-Columbia. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, so that's, that's a, a tantalizing one to look forward to. It was Matt, a Kazi, and a tea towel. Um, so if, and a Colombian family. And, yes, and importantly, family. actually, and a Colombian family. We'll get that story out one day. He's 71, Ric Flair. I've just looked yeah, him up. Yeah. He's looking he's, well. He's doing all right. He's yeah. looking well. He looks right. like Emmett Brown out Back to the Future. Without the, without the voluminous hair. It's nicknames, Son of a Gun, The Man, Nobleman of Fury, and Jets Flying. There's even more. I, can't, I haven't got time for all the, all the nicknames. He's got about 50. Kiss Stealing, Ida, The Boot, Ricky Rhodes, blimey. He's got a, he's got a, <laughs> uh, a few catchphrases too. What would your catchphrase be, Brad? Um, as, as the praying mantis. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Get down. Get, <laughs> Get down, you <laughs> Matt is the log. Let the dog see the rabbit. Uh, I think my catchphrase would be... Uh, Take me out and shoot me. Just get, get the kettle on. Get me in the first one more time. <laughs> Good. So, uh, I think I, I, would, I would be the... Neither of you asked, but I'd be the goose. Oh, sorry we didn't ask. So, Graham, what, okay. what would you be? I Who would, would be you the be? goose. Matt. Why? Why because, is that? Because my surname is Wilgos, which, which, oh, is, which, which is old like, English for wild goose. you could be a lady, wild what would which, which fortunately brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thank you to our sponsor, Alaka Bicycle Insurance. Blokes, good to get this one in the can. Uh, first episode of the new season. We hope we will be back next week. In the meantime, look, look after yourselves. Thank you to everyone who has tuned in. Look after yourselves out there too. And while you're doing that, you can keep up to date with Brad on social media at... So we go. So we go. Plus, you can follow Eurosport on Twitter and Instagram at Eurosport underscore UK. And you can find us on Facebook. Many thanks for joining us, Matt. 
Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. It has been an awful lot of fun, as it always is when you're on. Um, and we can keep up to date with the log. Uh, with the log uh, <laughs> at Real Stevens. I might at change Real it Stevens. to the log, but yeah. I'll keep it at Real Stevens for the time being. Maybe briefly, yeah. Um, finally, from me, Graham Wilgoss, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts and rate us on your podcast platform of choice, I should say. Uh, we hope to see you next week. Chaps. See you later. Again. Goodbye. Thanks, Take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.